Almighty and everlasting God, we thank you this day for your word and we ask for understanding. Your word tells us that we have been given the mind of Christ and we ask, Lord, that you would clear that mind of all the clutter that this last week has been built into it and give us clear understanding to your word. And I ask, O Lord, as your pastor for this church, that you would give me the grace I need to preach your manner in a way which is pleasing to you and beneficial to your blood-purchased covenantal people. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, it's interesting how those readings all fall together. And even though we do read the scriptures basically in consecutive order, I would like to take credit for them. I've said this many times. I'd like to take credit for them falling into place like that. But the beauty of reading the books in order is it takes a little bit of the weight off of me. I don't have to really think about, oh, what am I going to read next week? It's just the next batch of verses. And it also allows God's sovereignty to move into effect because then nobody can say, oh, well, I spoke with you about that last week and you surprise, surprise, you preached on it. Well, no, it just happens to be next in line. But when we think about who God is and how precise he is, And when we let the scriptures inform us of who he really is, we get a vastly different picture of him than the one that we might have in our minds. Have you ever known someone who doesn't look anything like their photograph? Not really. I mean, you can tell that it's the person, but there are some persons, they look, um, I don't want to say better or worse, but some people are more photogenic. When you take a photo of them, they just seem to, brighten up in the photo. And when you see them in person, you realize, oh, just average. Then there are other people who are just very, very uh, attractive physically in person. But when you take a picture of them, something just misses. It's just, it just doesn't really look like them. Because a photograph can't give you an exact representation. It's not the real person. It's not. No matter how much retouching you do, it's not real. The scriptures are unretouched photos, as it were, of God. And what happens to us as we move about in the world and as we grow older and we accumulate more and more data and more and more stuff in our brains and our hearts, that picture of God can get vastly altered. And the views of the God of the scriptures... We understand that the false religions of the world have it wrong. We understand that. But some of the views of God in the scriptures by folks who profess to believe in the God of the scriptures, there are so many weird little takes on him these days that it's, it's beginning to get almost amusing. I'll give you an example. Again, I have many Facebook friends. The vast majority of them I don't know. And some of them are so interesting in their views. One of the persons believes that Christians are absolutely sinless. Sinless. Completely. That they, once a real Christian is converted, they never sin again. This is in, in their threads. And there's just a number of them. There are a number of people out there like that. And my comments to them were, in more or less words, what color is the sky in your world? Um, you know, I had to tell one fellow, do you realize you're being brutally sarcastic with me. He was calling me Mr. Divinity. Okay? 
Um, so I said, oh, he must have looked at my profile and it says I have a Master of Divinity. So he's giving me a slam here. I said, are you making fun of me because of my education? If so, that's a sin. And therefore, I guess you're not a Christian. You'd best repent. There are other folks who believe that Christians, listen to this, this is anti-book of Galatians, should actually still be doing animal sacrifices. And this is a new one for me. I just found these people this week. That the animal sacrifices, that the book of Hebrews is not inspired. The whole group of them. book of Hebrews doesn't count. They believe that Paul doesn't count. That Paul is a heretic. Wow, that, that's a new one. That's a, that's a new one for me. So I'm supposed to find a place that's acceptable and make a sacrifice to God. Well, that's a little bit of a problem for me because Christ did the final sacrifice. So we have people who are quoting this, almost the same scriptures going at it from two entirely different planes. Those two views, neither of them are scriptural and they are so far removed from each other that They'll never meet. The two lines will, the two roads will never, ever converge. The scriptures point out to us both of those realities in a greater or a lesser degree, but a very different take on it. Christians still sin. Okay. The book of James makes it brutally clear that Christians still sin because the book of James is just one correction after another. And there's a cycle of corrections. If we're not sinners, why would, we, why would the Lord's half-brother need to correct us so often? Now, as for the sacrifices, I can't even comment on the, on the ridiculousness of that, just the stupidity of it. I found another weird one this week that the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation is the Bible. That the book itself, the collection of letters, is the mark of the beast. And that Christians have to move only by the Spirit. And I thought, well, that's interesting because the mark of the beast is actually mentioned really only in the book of Revelation. And so if it's the mark of the beast, then how can you, how can you quote a book and say that it's false but take your defining doctrine from that book. Confusion is out there in ways that we can't imagine. Now, you don't have the time, maybe not even the interest, to go investigate all these people, but that's part and parcel of a pastor's job is to know what um, viruses are out there that might infect the people in his care. Doctors study diseases. That's what a pastor is, a spiritual doctor. I don't study physical diseases. I just want to go to the doctor and get fixed. I just want to get fixed. I don't need to hear fancy words. Just tell me you accept my copay and that the, the prescription is going to be fairly inexpensive and that I'll feel better in a few hours. That's what I want to hear. The prescription for us here. Let's think about that Old Testament reading just for a moment. The mercy seat. That tells us that the covenantal people need the mercy of God. The God who will say, build it just like this, this many cubits, don't miss an inch, don't miss a millimeter, use gold, not silver, don't dare use bronze, don't use copper, don't mix it. He tells us we need mercy from him. And then when we move forward to that, that, new, that gospel reading from John, 
the context of that gospel reading, there hadn't been a prophet in Old Testament Israel for 400 plus years. The prophetic office was shut down with Malachi. And everybody knew it. When John arrived on the scene, he's obviously a strange bird, isn't he? Yummy, yummy diet. Wild locusts and honey. No, thank you. I'll take the honey in my peppermint tea, but I'll pass on the wild locusts. This does not sound appealing to me. Now, what's interesting about that is that locusts, what do they do in the real world? They destroy crops. They destroy crops. And in the Old Testament, in a number of places, locusts are sent as a what? Judgment. So you have this brand new prophet eating locusts, which is weirdly symbolic of taking in the judgment of God. And he's dressed in his brutal clothes and he's off on his own. He's probably a Nazarite. Had long hair, long beard. Wasn't allowed to shave at all. A special vow. And then the leaders of the Old Testament church come out to him, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who did not like each other. The only time the Sadducees and the Pharisees liked each other was when they put Christ up on trial illegally. That's the only time they liked each other. What does he call them? A brood of vipers. And then he goes on to describe the one who is coming after him. That he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, and that he has this winnowing fan in his hand? That's language of brutal judgment. Sorry, we can't skip over those passages. He's going to spark a fire of judgment and then fan it into flame to burn the chaff, to burn out what's not healthy, to burn out what is poisoning the church, his people, and clean it up. Fires of purification. It destroys, but it also purifies. You cook certain foods at a certain temperature. Why? To kill the stuff in them. Fires of purification. James, last week, told us to draw near to God and that he would draw near to us. And I challenged you last week to do that. So, how did you do? If you didn't do too well, you confessed your sins. Today is a brand new day. It's not even a new day. It's a brand new hour. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you you double-minded. Remember I told you, this is talking about our sanctification, not our justification. The two are entirely separate. They're joined, but separate. God justifies us in his court. We have nothing to do with that in our sanctification. The Spirit burns out the dross in our lives. One is painless to us. The other is painful. Sanctification is not easy. It's like spiritual rehab. It's painful. It's very painful. And that's what James is telling us to do. And then he gives us this very un-21st century, un-American message. To lament and mourn and weep. To let our laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and that he would lift us up. Not a message that um, modern Americans want to hear today. But we're commanded here. These are imperatives in the Greek. They're commands. Why are we to lament? 
we're to lament and mourn and weep because we're not making progress in the sanctification. We're to lament and mourn and weep because we haven't arrived in heaven yet. We're to lament and mourn and weep because we sin and we are sinned against. We are to lament and mourn and weep because we look around and we see the ravages and effects of sin. It's like a contagion that you can't get away from. No matter how much bleach you spray on it, it just, the mold just seems to grow back. That's the reality in what I call the old earth. The new heavens and the new earth. Book of Revelation again tells us that the entire universe will be purified by fire. I don't know exactly how that's going to look, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be an awesome sight going to purify the entire universe of fire and will be given new bodies to live on the new earth. The new earth will be populated. We always talk about heaven, but we forget that there's new heavens and new earth. To worship him in purity without the weight of sin and sorrow. I'm so thankful that we're one day closer to that. But yet at the same time, I'm scared that we're behind. We're behind in our growth. All of us, each and every one of us, myself included, could be further along in our Christian lives than we are today. That's why we're commanded to lament and mourn and weep. And one of the harshest things that we, how we hurt our sanctification is simply by the words that we speak. The words that we speak can either heal or destroy. The words that we speak build up or tear down. The words that we speak either comfort or distress. The words that we speak either reveal a heart that is being purified by God or a heart that is fundamentally still diseased. Now, as James says, we all stumble in many ways. He said that in an earlier chapter. We all stumble in many ways. And then he says this, if any man is able to... Let me just read it to you. I'm not going to give you a paraphrase. You just have to turn the page back more. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. The point of that passage is you're not going to do it. You will stumble with your words. Even if you take a vow of silence, you will stumble because there might be a time when you're supposed to issue a word of comfort. But since you've taken a vow of silence, you can't do that. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Another command. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Notice the context here is do not speak evil of one another. What does that mean? Wow. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. One, it means don't lie. Don't bear false testimony against your brethren, it says. So this must have been an issue in the church. Now, let me put it in modern phrases. It's not saying don't speak evil of Muslims, don't speak evil of Hindus. What it's saying is do not speak evil of other Christians. It must have been a problem 2,000 years ago. Surprise, 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 it's still a problem today. 
There are some professing Christians whose tongue is like a razor. And it just lashes out and cuts right and left. Everywhere they go, for years, no matter the circumstances, no matter the audience. And that's a sign of a fundamentally sick heart. We all stumble in many ways. But if a person has been ripping people apart for 30, 40, 50 years, irrespective of the audience that they're talking to, then that's, that's a, a bad, bad sign. As a spiritual doctor, that shows me that something's, something's gone very, very wrong. Very wrong. To speak evil of a brother is to tread upon God's area of turf. Now, let me make this very clear. The favorite verse of non-believers is found in Matthew 7. Do not judge, lest you be judged. And this sounds kind of like that, but it's not saying that. Let me define what judgment is. Simply to make a decision. That's what the word means. means. You make a decision. You judge whether or not a tie matches a certain jacket. No, I don't think the day glow green tie will go well with the black suit. I don't think the yellow will go well with well, whatever color. Mauve. I don't think it'll match. Make a decision. This is not saying that we allow everything to happen in the church. Because there are other scriptures that make it brutally clear that particularly this session is to make decisions. What's the session is? A court. The court is court in session. They make decisions. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about slander which is a malicious lie about someone. This is talking about gossip, which is possibly malicious truth spoken about a person. So you can sin in your mouth by lying, which is falsity, but you can also sin by telling the truth. By simply speaking the truth about another person outside of their presence, you can speak evil of them. These are serious sins. And they're sins that are brutally overlooked in the church and always have been. Because it's so much easier for us to look out at the world and say, look at those drunks. Look at those gamblers. Look at those people that make those movies. Look at them, look at them, look at them. And not look in the mirror and realize that our words are weapons. They're weapons of war. And each and every one of you is in this warfare. The warfare has a number of fronts. The first front is your own heart. That's where the real struggle is. Your struggle isn't really with the world. Your struggle is in yourself. Between your own agenda and God's agenda. It's so easy to sin with your words. I'm urging you this week to pay very careful attention to your words. And if you really do, you will be horrified at the things you say. 
and you'll be horrified at the things you hear. Even the little jokes are often just viciousness with a smile attached to them. And this scripture makes it brutally clear that God takes it seriously, just as God took the building of the tabernacle so seriously. Remember, he's a picky God. He's paying attention to all of the details. Every single word we say, we will give account for on the day of judgment, Matthew 12. Every single word. Every careless word. Forget about the angry and vicious words. I've told you this many times because the scriptures keep going back to it. If you speak evil of your brother, you're a judge. And you speak evil of the law and judges the law. That's not a place you want to be. Because it says, but if you are a judge of the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And remember, we are commanded to be doers of the law, doers of the word. This easy believism of the American church has got to go. Well, I came forward. I said the sinner's prayer when I was nine. And I know I've been slipping for the last 30 years, but by golly, I got Bible camp. I raised my hand. I did. I promise you. Well, okay. You said the sinner's prayer when you're nine, and now we have 30 years of carnage. Well, maybe not 30. You really can't do that much carnage when you're nine. You really start revving up when you're 16 or 17. So now you got 20 years of carnage. I have to tell people, you know, you might want to revisit that day at Bible camp when you were nine. Maybe it really wasn't real because, what does John say in Matthew? Bear fruits of repentance. Let us walk in your ways to the glory of your name. When we walk and when we talk, people are watching. And they're listening. And if you're a Christian who's really trying, you'll realize they're just waiting for a minute to pounce on you. Oh, you're not a Christian. I just heard you say it. You're not. You're just like I am. Particularly if you come from a non-Christian family. They They are waiting, looking at every nick and cranny just to find one little thing to say, nah, you're a fake. You're a hypocrite which is a ridiculous charge. Church isn't filled with hypocrites. It's filled with sinners. (laughs) A hypocrite is someone who says they're not a sinner, but is. A sinner is someone who says, I am a sinner and I'm really trying. Okay? So the next time someone says, that church is full of hypocrites, say, no, it's filled with sick people who are trying to get well. When you go to a hospital, you expect to find what? Sick people. That's what you do. You expect to find sick people in various stages of getting better or getting worse. That's what it is. The church is a hospital filled with sick people. Are there hypocrites in churches? Sure. Guess what? That's a sickness. It's a really evil sickness. But ironically, the hypocrite is usually the one who is doing the most sinning with the words. Because you have to play a role if you're going to be a hypocrite. That's what the word means, a hypocrite. 
In ancient Greek theater, ladies weren't allowed to be actors. But if there was a lady's part in the play, guess what? The guy has to shave his beard and put on makeup and dress up like a lady and play the part. It's called a hypocrite, a play actor. We're not play actors. We're not playing at this. I mean, really, to be a, a religious Christian hypocrite is the largest waste of time you could ever do. Why would you want to play at something so difficult? The Christian life is brutally difficult. It's hard to follow this word. Why would you want to play at that? I could think of a lot of easier games. Okay? A lot of easier games. Badminton is significantly less strenuous on the body than, let's say, boxing. You might get hurt playing badminton. If you box, I guarantee you, you will get hurt. No matter who you are, you will get punched. The Christian life is spiritual warfare. There's no room for playing games because it's not a game. Our God is not a God who's playing games. That mercy seat reading is very important. I encourage you to go home and read it. It's a blueprint of a little tent. And then if you go forward in the scriptures and read the, 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 the construction of the temple, the precision that God wants from us is demanding. An old Puritan preacher was asked by a lady, why do, you, why do you and your brethren, which would be my predecessors, Puritans, why are you guys so picky and precise? He said, Madam, because I serve a precise God. I serve a precise God. You know, there's this idea that what we believe doesn't matter. All that matters is love. Have it, has anybody ever said that to you? I'm not into doctrine. I just want to love. And you can just flip it back and say, well, that is a doctrine. You just, you just told me to do something. We, God, we demand precision because God does. Do you want to be a doer of the law or a judge? There's one lawgiver, he says, who is able to what? Here it is. Save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Again, this is not talking about a session. Calling sin, sin. We have clear commands from scriptures that that is supposed to happen. This is talking about slander, malice, gossip, nastiness. When a session does its job properly in disciplining a person, they're not nasty about it. The goal is always correction, bringing the sheep back into the fold. This is not what this is talking about. This is speaking evil of someone, tearing them to shreds just for the fun of it. Just because it feels good. And there's some people who are filled with such bile that it just seems to... And we all know people like this. It just seems to... Bill, everywhere they go. We all say unkind things. You will sin this week with your mouth. I guarantee you. Most likely before you go to bed. But it's not supposed to be the general tenor of our lives. The scriptures talk a lot about our words. The book of Proverbs, I encourage you to read one proverb, one chapter of Proverbs a day. It will cut you to the quick. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. He who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 15. A soft answer turns away, a gentle answer turns away wrath. It's 
someone comes at you with blazing fire, what's the world say? Fight fire with fire. No, you fight fire with water. <laughs> fire does not put out fire. Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't work. Try it. Try to put out a candle with, with a lighter. See if it works. I promise you, water will do the job much quicker and much more efficiently. When Jesus was falsely accused, he didn't fight back. He was like a sheep ready for the slaughter. Too many Christians for the last 2,000 years have been in violation of this. So I ask you to look into your own heart and examine what you say about other Christians. Are you speaking maliciously about them? Do you say things about them that you wouldn't say to their face? That's a very good barometer. But I say this to the person's face the way I'm saying it now. I promise you, nine times out of nine and a half, you will say, no, I would not. My tone would be different, the word choice would be different, and the feeling in my heart would be different. Because let's be honest, we sin because it feels good for a season. It's pleasurable for a season. There's nothing like a good gossip fest. Nothing quite satisfies the time as a good shred session when someone else is not in the room. But let me just point out something to you. That there will be a day when you're not in the room. And they might be talking about you. And if you could be a fly on the wall and hear what other people say about you, you might never stop weeping. And if you could be a fly on the wall and hear your own words, what you say about other people, you might not stop weeping. So I urge you, pay attention to your words. Because they can either give life or they can give death. There are people who have heard something when they were young and they carry it with them for the rest of their lives. Words said in jest on a playground, words said in jest at home, they stay with you forever. And ever. It's a horrible thing, the tongue, what it can do. And all you have to do is watch siblings and children go at each other. And you say, where did that come from? It came from the heart. Our words reveal who we are. And you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So speak with dignity and purity this week. Please. Because I don't want to see you come under God's law. Lord, we beg of you to purify our words by your word, because your word indeed is truth. Oh, Lord, if you could change our speech habits, you would change our church, you would change our families, you would change our communities in the world. Please start purifying our words.